Hello, and welcome to the MS Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we tell or share our stories. Today's guest is going to be a treat for all of the listeners. He's um, one year and two months retired. Uh, Every day is a Saturday, as he said when we talked earlier this week. I've enjoyed hearing him speak for the last several years when we met in this convoluted group of people with shared interest and desire for growth and change. Um, Our guest is... And before I introduce him by name, I'll give you a little bit of some of the things that he's been involved in. Um, ladies and gentlemen, he was a fire paramedic, deputy chief, EMS operations of the D platoon for the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Fire Department. He was the past president of the National EMS Management Association. He's also associated with the National EMS Educators, National EMS Physicians, and National Association of EMTs. He is a student, a scholar, a speaker, a person that has a lot of things in common with me, uh, bourbon is one, um, <laughs> yay, yay bourbon. Um, he also enjoys barbecue. Barbecue is a good thing. Uh, for those of you that aren't vegan like my wife and for the vegans out there, I do, I do accept even if I don't agree with all of that. Um, and we're going to talk today about a lot of interesting things. Um, one of the things that we've talked about was uh, wicked problems and the strategy of wicked problems. We're going to talk about a pioneer called Russell Ackoff, uh, systems thinking, management science, um, hubris and fear, um, maybe secular humanism, um, power and control, profit, not for profit, um, EMS organization structure, humanity in general. Um, he is also the managing editor of the International Journal of Paramedicine. They're going to have a soft launch later this month. And we should be looking forward to the first um, article or publication, hopefully in January of 2023. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Touchstone. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for coming on the EMS Improv Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. That was a lot of stuff you just said, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're like my wife, I do a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. So my goal today is to be mindful and intentional about spending time and space with you so that our listeners not only can see and feel however they see and feel uh, that this conversation is real, that it's authentic, that we're two human beings that are just trying to do good work. And and uh, the fortunate thing for you in retirement is you can say a lot of things that maybe you did or didn't say when you weren't, but I've I known you to be a, uh, a collaborator for change, a, a person that has tried to ruffle the feathers to make change. And I think that's what we need to see more in today's society, let alone EMS. And I think the overtones of what we're going to be talking about will be EMS, um, since you have such a significant background. And I have currently about 20 years in the field in different different positions. But I did say a lot. Um, I, I do find my joy in, in sharing conversations with people like you. And in 2016, I don't know if you ever heard this story. My wife did tell me when I told her... Um, quote unquote, all I hear is blah, 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 as she was explaining something to me. And as opposed to hitting me, because we were in the kitchen, <laughs> as opposed to hitting her, hitting me over the head with a frying pan, she said, you need to find your joy. And I have dedicated my life to honoring her, um, our family, our grandchildren, and, and cha- changing and reshaping <clears throat> the human being that I am for the betterment of uh, human connection engagement and uh, relational interactions versus just simply transactional interactions when we can do that. Well, it's interesting. uh, You just said about human interaction. 
And one of the things that I think is <clears throat> potentially unique, I don't know if it really is, but it's a critical component of being a paramedic or an EMT. And that is every day, every time we go out, and even, even if you don't go out because you're interacting with the people in your community and in your firehouse or ambulance bay or wherever, we are dealing with people. And you have an opportunity as a service provider to have a positive influence on somebody every day. And many folks do not have that opportunity the way we do. <clears throat> we get invited into folks' homes uh, when they're having a really bad day, whatever that badness may be, whether it's an injury or illness or hungry or cut finger or you know medical emergency or not, trauma or not. Our gift to them is we can help. We can do something to mitigate their problem. Uh, <clears throat> now, we forget that a lot, especially in, when you're really busy. And we sometimes slip into this judgmental uh, mindset that this is an emergency. Why am I here? Well, <coughs> a dangerous mindset. <coughs> Forgive me, I am uh, one week post-COVID positive test and my COVID uh, symptoms were coughing and sore throat. So... If I cough, that's why, although I've had a cough for a long time, but back to the thing of being a paramedic, right? Or being an EMT or being anybody in a service position, we need to remember, all of us need to remember that the purpose of us being here is to provide service and to do for others. Uh, it's dangerous when we start thinking that some people are worthy or, or are unworthy of our service. So that goes right to what you were saying, Eric, about people and the stories we tell. You, uh, you and I were talking a little bit about words and the words we use, think about it, uh, trolls. Uh, what are some of the other ones? I can't, you know, gomers, uh, all kinds of other derogatory terms that we use for people uh, that are less fortunate than us and for whatever reason, have called 911. Um, it's difficult to maintain that heart of service that we should all have. Anybody who's doing this work should be their calling, you know, not just a job. So, you know, we can segue into the idea of professional professionals and what professionalism is because a lot of it is based on the idea of a calling to serve. The fact that you share that and it resonates, um, I, I'm early end uh, or late boomer, early Gen X, uh, and, and uh, by your year of birth, you would be a boomer. Um, how did you get to the point where you transcended what the dogma of your upbringing, uh, parenting, schooling was designed to shape you to be a person that you're not today and maybe walk us through the evolutionary process for, for somebody out there that's still struggling with transparency or that we were talking about the paradox of hubris and fear um, earlier before we started recording. You had a significant evolution in, in your personal and persona and, and you've created to me what I observe 
is something that perfectly is as blended as you can get still as you fine tune them. But you are somebody outside of what the box would say you should be based upon all of your upbringing and training and, and, and early skill sets. Well, I, I would like to think that in some ways I was revolutionary in that I revolted against those structures. Um, I also was, I would have to admit, unbalanced. Um, I spent a lot of time doing science and intellectual stuff uh, and a lot of time doing art. Uh, but the, the emotional side was kind of damaged, right? So <clears throat> what I did in my career and in my life, primarily, I mean, my, my career was my life for the past 40 years, more than half of my life. Uh, I didn't allow their rules to decide what I was going to do. I made the choice to do and pursue the things that I thought were important that would also support my career growth, but that were interesting and important in a broader sense. So for a young guy or young gal, uh, folks out there, it takes taking risk. It takes introspection. It takes honesty with yourself and it takes action. You have to do things. So, Part of, part of my background is that I didn't just do EMS. Uh, you know, I cook. One of the ways I kind of broke into the fire department when I was first hired by Philly Fire as one of the first uh, single role paramedics in the fire department uh, was I, I cooked. And that's a valuable skill for the guys because everybody needs to eat, right? Plus, when you're the cook, you get to cook what you like. And you don't have to clean. <laughs> so there's some real benefits there. <clears throat> but breaking bread and sitting around the table. Uh, I came into the department having been a medic already eight years and a field supervisor for two and a half. But my theory was be quiet. Don't, they don't care what I know, especially if I'm saying what I know show what you can do, earn their respect through action, uh, which directly reflects on the idea of professionals behaving in ways that reflect uh, a belief and the, the importance of behavior in cons that's consistent with core humanistic values. Uh, now, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about values, uh, <clears throat> but from, from in my personal path in my career, you know, I got put in circumstances that I was completely unprepared for. I got sent to CQI office. Well, I was actually asked by uh, my preceptor who got promoted and he said, listen, come to, come to the office. I need somebody down here. And I said, no because I was, I had vacation plan and stuff. And the third time I went, but I had no idea what quality improvement was all about. So what do you do? You teach yourself. You, I mean, we had access not as easily as we do today. <coughs> 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 
but I went online and found out, found stuff about quality improvement and what it meant and taught myself how to do it. Uh, you know, I, I found, well, Mick Gunderson was writing a, uh, was doing a quality journal and the uh, association of like the national association of continuous quality improvement people, which later became NEMSMA uh, had a journal and I found it. And that kind of led me down that path later on. Uh, I got told on Monday, report to the Academy. <laughs> You're transferred, man. Um, I didn't know anything about teaching. I really didn't. So I had to learn. And I spent a long time at the fire Academy. Uh, and who, who do you get information from? The, uh, the educators, you know, so I joined NEMSI National Association of EMS Educators and went to their conferences and met people and uh, found folks that were willing to help. Uh, and, and for those folks that are out there that are feeling, um, you know, that are struggling to find their path, find a mentor, find more than one mentor, not maybe necessarily in EMS, but perhaps somebody you really respect who's been successful and ask them if they can help you. Uh, Cause they're, they're not going to ask you, do you want help? So, I mean, I'm kind of wandering all over the place, but all this stuff is related to developing a plan. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of my success came after an assignment uh, at George Washington university. Um, it was like an early leadership class. And one of the assignments was a personal professional strategic plan. And um, that guided my career for many years. Uh, the things that I wanted to accomplish, I had to figure out how to get it done. Now, I didn't get it done by myself. Of course, you get help. You know, you ask other folks that were presenters. You ask people that have published. You ask people who learn how to, uh, or, you know, folks at the National Fire Academy. How do you become an instructor? And they, they help you and they tell you. The other thing is the a big important piece of the pie is showing up and doing stuff. You've got to be present and you have to contribute. So a cook contributes to the well-being of the firehouse by putting together a meal. Um, you know, a, a committee member contributes to the committee by being on the calls and doing the work that's expected and contributing ideas and writing or doing whatever it is that the committee's job is. Um, so, you know, you, you make progress in an, in an association that way. But uh, it, a lot has to do with showing up and meeting people and networking and not de demonstrating too much hubris. Uh, you know, it is important to tell the truth and truth to power is risky. Uh, but you got to do it. You have to have the intestinal fortitude uh, to take the risk. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be willing to take those risks. Now, I, I just went all, like, all the heck all over the place. And maybe you want to focus in on something else. But uh, my current work is related to looking at design thinking and systems thinking. And the idea that the situation we're faced with in emergency medical services is that it's so complex that we don't even know what the problems are. We don't have the language to talk with the stakeholders. We haven't engaged critical stakeholders uh, <clears throat> to figure out what it is we should be doing. 
because uh, what we've been doing for the past, hmm, what, 50 years hasn't changed much. And it's really not working that well uh, in that, you know, if you look at accidental death and disability from what, 1966, right? The, uh, the quote unquote white paper that led to the development of the EMT curriculum. And that's why we're in uh, EMS lives in the Department of Transportation because the primary focus was the cost of car wrecks and the injuries in car wrecks. Now, it also was related to uh, injuries that occurred in the home but because there was no way to get care to people, it cost a lot of money uh, in death and uh, disability. So when you look at the numbers back then that they quote in the, that you could find uh, and compare them to the numbers today, the dollars that it costs, haven't had a lot of impact. Now we've had other impacts, a lot of other impacts, but not there. So um, we're gonna be, re-releasing accidental death and disability in the International Journal of Paramedicine. And it's one of the foundation documents that everybody who does this work should probably read. With, with all that being said, and yes, you have said a lot of things and I, and I feel a congruence in them. And, and I think that that's how your brain goes and, and you allow yourself to free think and yet um, I love that you said action. It still requires ultimately action, um, not engaging our stakeholders or not engaging them well. Um, when we talk about wicked problems uh, and the strategies around solving them, uh, you know, kind of my homework assignment after we spoke the other day was kind of to look up some of the approaches. And, and I saw the, the authoritative approach, the competitive approach, because, you know, as adults, we play the game. As kids, we used to play the game. So we understood competition value at that time, but in, in the face of what we're doing now, because it's so monetized yet without equity, and there's so much parity across the systems that, that the authoritative process isn't working, the competitive process isn't working, and a frightening word out there, and it's part of what we do with the EMS Improv, is the collaborative process. And, and that's where you get stakeholders and people they don't have to pay to play, and it's not this organization versus this organization. And if you're not seated here, you don't have a voice, and yet we all should have a voice. Um, but how does it resonate? And you know, we're looked at by the value of what we can do right now, not the value of what we can do tomorrow or 10 years from now. And I and I think the vision that you and Mick share and other people like you uh, guys um, can put us in the right direction. And I like that you said early on that you're a revolutionary. And, and I think we need that um, because of the systemic problems within emergency medical services, mobile medicine at all, uh, mobile integrated health. Uh, we have wonderful and smart people that are doing great things, as, as you know, and you know many more than I do. Um, but it was neat to share the other day that we know a lot and we have a lot of them in common. But the collaborative approach, that engagement with our stakeholders and find the best solutions is what I hear you and, and people like Mick and Aaron Rohn, who was on um, a couple weeks ago, are really wanting to do. Uh, we talked about Tony O'Brien and the EMS Memorial, and I know you're going to mention some stuff there in, in a bit. But now's a good time, man. Wonderful. Pitch okay, so the EMS Memorial, um, we did a, a podcast, and, and the title was If They Build It. And why is that such a big concern? 
because funding and oversight, and, and there's some really good things that I'm not able to share that, that I do know. Um, but as Tony said, they have the plots, you know, the, the ones where they're going to make the decision where they're going to be in D.C. Um, donations and involvement, and, and we're so fearful of getting engaged because, you know, is my voice going to be heard? And then again, we may have imposter syndrome when we do decide to step out of our comfort zone. Um, but what they're doing is great work to recognize, remember, honor those that have fallen before us and, and to do good work for people that uh, are in the industry um, profession. And, and, and that's the other thing we talked about, the whole vernacular about what we are, who we are, what our titles are, what our roles are. We can't even have a conversation without arguments there. And I, and I don't find that arguments are wholly bad but we don't come to resolutions or they're so siloed that we don't see pervasive change sweeping across the plains to use an Oklahoma term where I am currently <laughs> uh, um, to, to get to the root of the problems. And there's so many moving parts, pieces, and, and uh, the lack of engagement at the legislative state and federal levels and, and the executive branch. Um, but those people at the EMS Memorial Foundation are engaging at the highest levels and they're actually seeing things done and with good corporate sponsorship which i think is going to be the end all and, and the key there and, and the opportunity for some matching grants will be where we get to see something built in the next however many years that'll be i think he said seven years okay and i think it's going to be tens of millions of dollars um <clears throat> there's it's a pretty arduous multi-step, I think he said 24-step process to get to the end of this road, which is actually only the beginning of the building of it. So, you know, I know that the uh, Firefighters Memorial is in Emmitsburg, Maryland. I've been there many times. Um, I don't know where the law enforcement memorial is. It's in D.C. somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> there are several uh, military memorials in Vietnam, the Korean War, uh, are in D.C. One of the things that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mike. I was just going to say ahead. the EMS memorial, Mike. where is it? It isn't. There it is, is no not. Yes. The closest thing you might see, and Tony mentioned it, and they're still doing it this way, is uh, a portable memorial on kind of like sandwich boards with brass leaves screwed onto the board for each year. They bring it out. They drive it from, I'm not sure where it is. It used to be in, uh, in Virginia. There was some stuff being planned in uh, Colorado Springs, but at the national EMS Memorial service that took place in Arlington this past year, you know, they had those sandwich boards with all the leaves on it. But the point being, go to their website, you know, uh, I don't know, emsmemorial.org, I guess it is, and, and look at what they're doing and, and pick up some money and think about participating. So that's the pitch that I promised I would make. <laughs> I think it's important for us to do so uh, to get the recognition. And, and it's interesting. You said something about the end and the beginning. And one of, one of the things that uh, – 
it, it's very simple, but yet because we're all so smart and we study science and we study methodology and we study um, management, however that looks, you know, when you get to a, a stopping point or your mind is so numb, the end is always in the beginning. And if we go back and, and there's something that seems, and to me it's a fatal flaw of, of where we've gotten, we're looking so forward they're not, that we're not being present. We're not being present <laughs> and, and, and dealing with the situations and the circumstances. And, and that there's not for nothing. I mean, we can't forsake where we're going and trying to project where we're going to be. Uh, you know, that's management 101. And at the same time, we're so woefully not present and, and past reflective that we can't have a future that's going to be different without doing those things. Uh, and that's my perspective. And I, I'm not sure where you stand on, on that. Well, I look at it like this, Eric. Everything is cyclical and linear at the same time. That's the paradox, right? Um, we are hardwired to see things based on light and dark versus on or off uh, with stimulation in your brain or in your eyeball, in the cells. Uh, that's kind of an on-off phenomenon. But at the same time, it's not. It's like, uh, is, is light a particle or is it a wave? And it's both because it has characteristics of both. So this idea <clears throat> that we should continue to look at things in hierarchies and in linear ways puts us at a disadvantage because we forget about what happened before. And we repeat the same mistakes. Um, people that don't study history are doomed to repeat it. I forget who said that. Uh, or, you know, the uh, Albert Einstein doing the same thing over and over again uh, and expecting a different outcome is a definition of insanity. That's not the exact quote. And, you know, you can take quotes like that all the way back to Confucius. So stuff's not different. Stuff's the same. Look at something, for instance, like um, CQI process. We mentioned a little bit earlier, a cyclical iterative process that you look at, you know, depending upon who you look, plan, do, check, act, right? The Deming model, a cycle. Now, part of the, part of the issue with a lot of what people do is they're really not doing a systems analysis. They're doing a people analysis. <laughs> real quality improvement methodology is based on systems analysis and the diagnostic. Why are things not happening the way we want them to happen? Now you can use the same thing for instructional design. Uh, what's it? What is it? Uh, assess, des design, develop, uh, implement, and evaluate. Addy is one of the simpler uh, instructional design processes, another cycle. <coughs> Excuse me, in the military, uh, in Vietnam, they were talking about observe, orient, decide, act. The OODA loop uh, to explain why uh, American pilots and F-4 Phantoms could shoot down pilots of a better aircraft, the MiGs, because they were better pilots, well, they were allowed to think on their own uh, and move through that cycle more quickly, whereas the 
enemy pilots were held to dogma. And we've talked about dogma before. Same thing you see in the military and other places where our non-coms are able and our officers are able to do independent actions. Whereas uh, our adversaries often are held to a strict dogma and a strict hierarchy. So we can outmaneuver and outthink and outperform them. Same thing goes across everywhere we go. You know, uh, think about in the kitchen. The kitchen is a model of our lives. You know, uh, how we do business in the kitchen. What, what do you what do you make out of what you have? <laughs> So, I mean, the way I see this stuff, it's not a line. It's not linear. Uh, it's, it, it, and mostly we don't know. That's the, that's the hubris piece. We don't know what we don't know. And we're not often willing to say, listen, I, I don't know what the answer is here. And part of what we're faced with is such high levels of complexity. that We don't even have, we have not even identified all of the systems that interface with EMS to, or paramedicine to, to, to know what all the influences are. So this idea of wicked problems, they're problems that can't be solved. And a lot of times when you make a, an attempt to solve what you think is the problem, you actually make things worse. Now, from the ACOF perspective, you don't solve problems, you create new environments. And you know, for us to think about creating a new environment for providing out-of-hospital medical care, that's putting a lot of things at risk. That's putting everything that we do today as we know it to a great degree at risk. Or what are we doing and why? We haven't asked those questions very much. Why are we spending all this money? Do we, do we have a paramedic shortage? Well, there are some perspectives that say we have too many, too many paramedics. Because most of what you do in an ambulance has nothing to do with ALS medical care. What we need is like some uh, social workers and psychologists and a more blended, broader approach to providing community service in a collaborative way. You know, it's, it's, we, we're always in competition for dollars, but we have to figure out a way to spend the dollars better. We don't and need more all the time. And, and I love hearing that, and, and as it continues to resonate with me and my studies in psychology and science and systems and, and the just culture kind of uh, uh, component on, on looking at the issues of the system and, and not looking at people, it's easy for us to hold others in judgment and not have this, this grace for people. I'm going to cough, excuse me. It's easy for us to not be relational. Mute the mic yeah. when you're getting ready to cough. What a genius idea. Hey, <laughs> an old dog can learn new tricks, right? Um, we, uh, because the human interaction I find is so difficult, it, at the outset of how do, how, how do I get this person to be motivated? How do they motivate themselves? How do I put them in the best position to be successful? We're, we're, we're fighting that wicked problem of personnel and implementation of personnel to meet a systems objective that is not conducive to the human being that's interacting or interplaying within that control set. And the tough thing that I see, and, and you've become such a, a 
good humanist from my observations and perspective that you look at the human component in all things. Um, inherently good and inherently bad uh, are on each end of the, the spectrum because if we look at each of us, there, there is failure and fallacy and hypocrisy. Um, and when we accept that, we talk about transparency and we talk about vulnerability and creating strength within that. Um, solving one of those wicked problems, if I were to just take it to very, very elementary levels, when I can be relational with myself first, be present with myself, and that's that mindfulness piece that we talk about and that you've brought up about just being a good human being, um, how we can interplay those with the systems management design, a science-based design that can work, that, it, that you know, when we see an issue and error, we're allowed to act independently of that. But we have this cancel culture now, if you're in a position for 18 months, you're gone because one thing failed out of 500 or because we don't like you because you created change and we are in an environment that doesn't enjoy change. Human, you know, the human genome doesn't like change, but in physiology, we know that we're changing every moment by every moment. And uh, those are the interesting things that I know you've delved into it and Mick delves into it, but yet you're such experts in the systems management, the system design, um, and how me, that all Let me looks. interrupt yeah, you there. Please interrupt. I'm not an expert in anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a student of a lot of stuff. I love that. Because, look, getting ready to do a, 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 the EMS Leadership uh, Academy or whatever uh, – uh, what did they call it? You were in it, too. Uh, a couple weeks back. Oh, but, the um, EMS Leadership Summit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was talking to Robbie and it, it triggered me to start digging deeper into the ACOF stuff. So, you know, I bought like six books and I'm working my way through them. So, you know, it's part of the thing that's very interesting to me is that this is all the same stuff that we've been trying to deal with all along. Whether you're talking... Um, well, it's, it's the human condition. Um, collaboration is hard because you have to uh, sometimes put yourself second, you know. Um, altruistic approach to, to living is what a professional does, particularly a medical professional does. And yet, you know, when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and we're not getting our base uh, needs met, it's really hard to, to be nice when when people are treating you in a really lousy way, you know? Uh, so, you know, part of, part of the answer is make choices, assess what your values are, which most people, as far as I can tell, haven't done. Uh, think about what you want to achieve, whatever it may be professionally or personally, and then how do you go about it and keep it consistent with what your values are? <clears throat> that's that's how you make a good choice. Now, it's uh, it's an interesting thought. Think about the place where you work, and do you like where you work, and and how do you feel about how you are there, uh, and the the environment within which you're working, your coworkers, and so forth. Then think about find your uh, organizational 
uh, annual report or strategic plan or whatever. And in the beginning of that, or somewhere around the, the uh, organization, they have a strategic plan. And in there, there's a vision statement, likely in a mission statement or something combined. And if you dig a little deeper, you can find the organizational values, right? So look at and assess what those values are. And is the organization actually demonstrating consistent behavior with their own values? Or are those values different than what yours are? And in both of those circumstances, you're going to be in what I have called values conflict, and you're going to be uncomfortable. And it's, it's not going to be a good place to be. Uh, if the people you work with demonstrate a different set of values than those that you think are important, that's going to be uncomfortable. You know, the guys that are, uh, well, I used to call it time banditry. They would lie about where they were on the radio. Uh, they would get to the hospital, drop off the patient and make a transfer of the patient and then go outside and say they were off radio at the hospital. And they had this thing in their minds where they were, quote, un entitled to, unquote, 30 minutes on that job at the hospital. Well, that's something that got made up. That was nonsense. It's just uh, like a cultural invention. So they already st <clears throat> stole like 10 or 15 minutes off the front end. So now they might be out of service for who knows how long. And, you know, if it's getting towards the end of the shift, they leave the hospital and get most of the way back to their station before they go available. So, you know, time banditry, does that make you feel uncomfortable? And then what do you do? Do you talk to your partner? Why are you doing this, man? Go off radio when we get here. Because ultimately, you're, you're stealing from the people in the locals next to you because they're taking your runs. Uh, you're potentially adding to response time, so you're damaging the system analysis, uh, although we could go down a rabbit hole of the importance of response times, which is mostly nonsense, yeah. uh, <clears throat> but it's still one of the key metrics. A and you're being disrespectful to the people that you're supposed to serve by hiding from a call for service. So all of this feeds into how are you going to plan your career? You're going to stay where you are. And if you are, why? I stayed with the fire department that was really not uh, very much of an EMS department. It was the fire department. Um, <coughs> primarily because they gave me the freedom to do what I wanted. Uh, outside, you know, I had to use my own time, my own money to get it done, but they didn't care what I did. Uh, some of it contributed to uh, the department's success at the fire academy, for instance, and they did support me in some stuff, but you know, it was a fire department and I was a paramedic. So, you know, I stayed because I had great benefits and I made a decent salary. And, you know, uh, although I could have left, my family didn't want to leave Philly. And all my, all my family was in Philly. So I stayed with the fire department, but I made choices to do stuff on my own outside the department. Now, how does that apply to somebody who's new to the job? Uh, well, first, you got to be good at what you do. You know, you got to be a good medic. Uh, you can't be one of those folks that they're watching all the time because you're a time bandit or you write lousy charts or you don't even turn your charts in. 
uh, stuff like that. You got to be a good medic. Then you start earning people's respect and you, you earn a little bit of freedom and they turn to you eventually, you know, they will hopefully recognize your value and use you to their benefit. And then you can use them to your benefit. That's a lot of stuff and it's kind of all over the place, but uh, that's the way my brain works. I'm all over the place all the time. So that, that being said, I, I want to encapsulate it and then, and then touch upon something that you said. Um, and, I, and I think you will agree, and, and this also came up today in, in uh, the grand rounds that I was in, uh, but most errors result from systemic failure or factors. Yes. Most, most individual stressors result from systemic factors. Systems are maintained or changed by individuals. <laughs> and stressed individuals are, ineff are ineffective at inspiring or leading change. So exactly. it sounds like we're already behind the eight ball. Um, yes. and, and the thing that that brings to my mind is, and it screams, and, and Ryan Thorne and I talked about accountability, normalizing accountability conversations. Aaron Rohn talked about management by walking around, which Rob Lawrence relayed to him when he was in, 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 in a course a couple years ago. Um, and that's old concept. And it's That's very old. old concept, but yeah, you, you know, we, we, we've had MBAs and we've had uh, people that have gotten PhDs in, in leadership and management. Mm -hmm. and, and we, and, and it's almost like we get, we use this word earlier in our preface uh, before we start recording this ethereal mindset of how to do things as opposed to the human interaction that's required to actually affect the changes that are necessary. So we spin out of control. Sorry. We spin out of control because of the stress that's put upon us by the metrics and the factors and the, and the relationships that we don't have or we're trying to grow in order to stay in the position that we're in or matriculate to the next level position. So at that point, I see people doing things that they wouldn't have done. They lack integrity in, in some instances. They, they, you already talked about the time bandits. So if they've not held accountable and, and they have a friends group in that organization that has control and power and has the right relationships, the organization goes in the direction of power and control and relational impact, which are not typically congruent with health and wellness and resilience and, and a true growth mindset. That's, that's a perfect definition of a dysfunctional organization where you have, uh, organizational authority um, and then you have uh, which is formal formal authority and then you have informal authority those guys that are trying to pursue trying to save their own lives now when the informal and the formal authority is separated it's a problem that's dysfunctional you want them to be close now that that works with uh, a lot of different aspects these these things are like fractals so that no matter how close or how far, how big or how little, how micro or macro, the applications are the same. And we struggle with taking the risks to buck authority because often those people in positions of formal authority are threatened by questioning or putting forth a different truth. Uh, 
or a more accurate representation, a different story. Uh, and that is also a, a kind of the, a form of stress or in and of itself. So you get this devolving cycle, which now I'll go back to something I said earlier. You have to make an, a choice. Individuals have to make choices to do something different. And part of that is to begin to do self-analysis. Where do you fit? And what, what are your levers and fulcrums to begin to create change? And look, I will say very honestly, I failed at a lot of stuff. Many, many things have not worked the way I had hoped, uh, partly because, you know, my own weaknesses and uh, unwilling to, you know, conform to others' ideas of what success is. Uh, so you have to be willing to take those risks and say, listen, you know, I make mistakes. Try not to make the same mistake multiple times. Uh, but that idea of collaboration is, is risky because you have to be honest and reveal yourself. And that's not always comfortable. Uh, very, very difficult stuff. I mean, we're, we're a young occupation or because we really haven't made it to be in a profession yet. Uh, and there's a lot of work yet to do. And it's the young guys coming behind us that are, and the men and women that are behind us that are going to have to be the folks that make those choices, learn the lessons and do it by design. Don't let it happen randomly. Uh, so, you know, you, you, do, you do education. A lot of what we learn as paramedics happens after school, right? But we don't have to wait like that. We can use, you talk about improv, we can use uh, scenario-based learning to teach the pieces of the puzzle that are missing, the effective domain, the, the soft skills, the value skills, the attitude skills. Uh, and the challenges for the people coming after us is to do the work, <laughs> to show up and do the work. Now, a lot of that work is by yourself on your own, but uh, it'll have impact. I, I like to think I've had some influence. Uh, I like to think that over the years, you know, being an instructor and a, and a mentor that I've helped a few other people not make some of the same stupid mistakes that I've made or help them find a way, uh, their own path, make their own plans. Uh, it's, it's an important thing that guys like you do, which is communicate, share the stories. And, you know, it's all about our stories. It is. And, and, as you're talking and I'm hearing, I'm trying to be intentional and, and savor the words and the thoughtfulness of what you're presenting. And, and I want to ask the listeners in that moment, when you hear Mike giving a point, a salient uh, knowledge nugget, um, his heart, his passion, uh, to, to allow that to ruminate for a few minutes before you say, oh, crap, that's not going to work. Or, oh, crap, he's old. Or, oh, crap, been there, done that, tried it. Um, time and circumstance does not limit us from re-evaluating uh, a prior attempt at something. Uh, time and place and space, that whole continuum is ever-shifting. And like you said earlier, it's not just linear, it's cyclical. And 
you know, when we talked about the cones and the rods and in, in, in the uh, in our in our uh, optic nerve and and how all that works in the muscles and in, in, in everything. Uh, in our presentation today and in, in what we do in, in trainings with fire and EMS and physicians and healthcare workers and and law enforcement officers, we talk about this the flow state or the state of flow and where you're just doing and being when when your your truest form of enlightenment and and i know that that's gonna give shutters to to so many listeners and at the same time pause in that moment i didn't say religiosity and i didn't say dogma i said you yourself in time and space having an enlightenment for what you're doing and how you're acting without real conscious aforethought and and just being and there's the juxtaposition of autopilot and everybody just says autopilot it's so easy i can just go to work and i'm an autopilot and what that does, and there's so many uh, deleterious effects of being on autopilot versus state of flow where you're taking all the experiential knowledge, the rote memorization, and putting them together, whether collaborative or congruent, we, we stop seeing the ability to, and again, this how the universe works, th this was in this presentation again today that I saw at Grand Rounds, but we stop, uh, it separates us, you know, the, the human being in this system from useful addition of data. Because when I'm an autopilot, I'm shut off to everything else. You said the soft skills, the affective. Um, Tony Korea and, and, and several of us like to call them <laughs> the, uh, the uh, essential skills, right? That, that are so uh, un, <laughs> well, I, I won't even get into that. The, I, I'm gonna call them from here on out the, the essential skills. Um, we lose- concur. You know, I want to I want to hit on something really important Please that you do. said, the idea of flow state. And this is the weird paradox in and of itself. Flow state is when you're operating without thinking. And you can train to achieve flow. Uh, if you look at some of the psychological studies in the area of expertise, they talk about flow state. Um, if you're an athlete, you can experience it. If you're a musician, if you are doing, <clears throat> a lot of it has to do, by the way, with physical activity. <coughs> Sorry, I didn't hit my mute button. But I will give you an example. I love, I'm too old and damaged and heavy to ski really anymore. But I can remember, like I can even play it in my head, an episode where I was skiing with a friend and hit flow where I was no longer thinking about where my skis were, where my weight was. I had my weight into the fall line and I was able to control everything and I was no longer thinking about it. And it was the best run I've ever had in my whole life. Um, and it was, it was when you stop thinking because you have enough. Now, part of, Part of the struggle to achieve that level is along the way towards total expertise and mastery, you hit plateaus and you need some external stimulus to move you from plateau to plateau. Uh, we, I mean, we could spend a whole, uh, a whole session talking about education and developing skills and attitudes, not just hands-on skills, but uh, a friend of mine, uh, Steve Canarian, used to talk about the doorway diagnosis. 
And that happens in 15 or maybe, maybe 30 seconds. When you hit the door, an experienced paramedic has a pretty good idea. A, ooh, this person is really sick. And B, oh, he's having a heart attack or CHF or pneumonia. So a lot of things that we have experienced that feed into a very quick decision. Uh, then we spend the rest of our time either confirming or refuting that decision. There's a recognition prime decision-making is what it's based on uh, what we're experiential decision-making. And there's a naturalistic decision-making uh, Gary Klein writes a lot about it, but that idea of, <coughs> of achieving flow state is when you can take the blood pressure without thinking you're doing that. You're putting on the leads you're looking at the leads, you're listening to what's happening around you. You've got open situational awareness and you're attending both simultaneously to the patient in front of you and the environment around you. And you're operating without thought. That's flow state. And, and wow, you know, I haven't heard anybody say that in a long time, but it's something we should aspire to. Um, <laughs> yes. And I, I feel that with that, and, and I love that you said, because um, you led into what I was going to continue to say, and I appreciate the add-on, was the, it still requires uh, study, it still requires intentionality, and it absolutely still requires practice with intention, again. So I emphasize intention. Um, thought without action is futile, it's meaningless, it, it's, it, it makes me feel good when I'm sitting in the recliner beside my wife, and I go, oh, that's a great idea. And, and where did that idea go 10 minutes later uh, into the ethereal space to never be uh, thought of again? Um, or, or then I'm upset because, dang it, I saw on Twitter or read a study or I'll read in, in, in your guys' publication. Well, crap, they're doing it. Why didn't I say something sooner? Well, I did say something sooner and I was yes butted and somebody took the idea. <laughs> and, and, and I used to get pissed off at that and i still probably low-key do to use uh, a vernacular of of the era i think relatively today to use low-key um because i'm somewhere in the neighborhood 30 plus years older than most of my co-workers uh, and i don't find that a bad thing at this point i i really relish in that learning opportunity they know my blind spots because i can't see them they they allow for me to have a new perspective and i love gestalt psychology from that perspective as well to use that uh um over uh, to overuse it when I'm talking about gestalt, that is perspective. Um, you know, you talked about the 30 second diagnosis. One of the things that today, and I want to just mention his name because he was phenomenal. Jonathan Fisher, he's an MD, FACC. He's a cardiologist. Uh, he was doing grand rounds for us today. And uh, I wanted to give him a nod because where uh, I knew our, where I believed our conversation was going to go is exactly where I believed it was going to go and so much further, deeper and better than, than I even could have expected. Because I think we've, we, we found our flow state in the conversation. Um, you, you know, I typically record uh, San, sans the video, but to get to see your reactions, um, it, I think it's helped change me. I've been a little bit more relaxed because I'm not trying to read into you know, yes, it has heightened my other senses when I can't see the participants in a conversation, but it also diminishes one of the most salient features that we forget about are those nonverbal cues, right? So you said the 30-second diagnosis. 
our patients and their families are making that 30-second observation too, but it's from a different perspective. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And you know what? The science says it happens in 7 to 15 seconds. You're judged at the door. Yeah. Plus or minus. And it's once they have a bad opinion of you, it's very hard to correct. And if they have a good opinion of you, if you earn that right at the start, it's not that hard to trash it. Yes. Yeah. So you hit it right on the head there. It's, it's absolutely fragile. Um, you know, we can talk about awareness and acceptance. And one of the big things that we use in the improv tools and teachings, and, and just for people to keep hearing this, because I do present on it a lot. I get opportunities to, to do things locally and nationally. And that is not because I am anything other than a vessel of the tools and the gifts I've studied the psychology. I've studied the science of why and how it works. And, and I've researched the people that have researched it to the nth degree. Um, so I, I'm like you, and I love that you said that one. You know, I appreciate you not thrashing me for calling you an expert. And, uh, and, and you so eloquently said that you're a student. And I think that's, that's a level of recognition that's that uh, appropriate hubris that we have where it's, it's, it's butted up against humility and vulnerability that we know what we know. But the biggest thing that I can express to anyone is I don't know what I don't know. And that was the greatest uh, mediator for me is not only a paramedic, but a husband, uh, a father, a grandfather um, to have the relational understanding of how all the things and the impact of what I do or don't do um, facially uh, gritting my teeth that my wife sees um, you know, clenching my fists, uh, being upset when there's no reason to be upset because the ebb and flow um, and it's Wu Wei in, in, in the Chinese, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's, 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 it, it's the flow with intention, with study. It's not not doing anything, but it's reacting. Dao. It, Dao, yeah, it's, re, it's responding and reacting to what you have around you, AKA, AKA improvisational learning uh, and teaching. In the practice of it and and it's funny um people like well how come you haven't been here how come you haven't been here uh and, and the same thing with you and, and other speakers and other students of science and management is because we're saying things that are that are incongruent to the thoughts and beliefs of the people around us <laughs> thus causing a greater level of stress and turning them off to us and one of the things that, that's key for me, and hopefully for the listeners out there, as you're hearing this, you're a very good discerner. And, and, and I ask the universe uh, at times for discernment. Um, it does not mean forever to not be myself, but at the same time, we are energy fields. And, and yes, there is science. And, and if I'm in, in a group of physicians and I say, is there any neurologists in the group? And they reluctantly put up their hands. Um, and I go, we're Wi-Fi connected. And to the very, you know, elementary level, yes, we are, because we have these things called mirror neurons. We interplay and interrelate on the nonverbals and the verbals and, and the, the energy that we're putting out there. And I say all that to, to, to get back to, I, I hope is a, is a point that's uh, well-received. We all are constantly receiving and, and, and giving output. 
to what benefit. So the discernment piece is, is who deserves that highest degree of energy and output versus just not being a shit person. And, and yet my interaction with them, they should still see or feel a positive interaction uh, that might be more transactional to them because they haven't, uh, and I'm not saying I've evolved to a level of uh, Zen, but I also feel, I also feel that my understanding of myself and how I relate to others can improve by how I receive them and spend time and being present with them. And uh, so that two things. Yes, please. Two things. One, what you're talking about has a lot to do with listening, of which we are poorly trained and educated and not given good examples and role models. So a challenge to the listeners is to work on your listening skills, to become an active listener and work on shutting off your interior voice that's already starting the argument before the speaker finishes. Uh, the other thing is, I was sitting on a plane, I don't know, I was coming back from California, and <clears throat> I happened to sit next to this guy. Uh, we got to talking, turns out he was a neurophysiologist. And we got to talking something I had read about neuroplasticity. And the closest thing to telekinesis of mind moving matter happens in our brains. When we have thoughts, especially repetitive thoughts, it changes the chemical uh, and molecular structure of our brains. So it goes back and reflects back to what I was talking about choice. You can begin to choose a different path and just choosing to smile as opposed to frown has actual physiological changes that are positive. So it goes to all that stuff you were talking about, about presence. It has to do with <clears throat> the inside and outside at the same time. This idea of recognizing paradox, something that's true and impossible at the same time. All of these things matter. Uh, and you said earlier, you know, when you're stressed, it's hard to do. Well, it's hard to do even when you're not stressed. And now you're back to making a choice to actually pursue something. Um, find other things that you like. I mean, do art, do, do anything, you know, hike, uh, grow things, have a garden, you know, raise fish or sheep or whatever, uh, do some other stuff. But every one of those activities will help inform what we do as, as paramedics. You just have to find the linkages. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, it, it's interesting when we put workload and demand and, and they pile up and stack up so much higher than like security, control, reward, um, purpose. Uh, we're already in many cases defeated. And so uh, I, I want to associate more with people that uh, even in the realism of, of impossibility, wicked problems are still willing to get up and smile. I was up in Wisconsin um, last, I believe it was last week. I'm, I'm here and there so much I forget. And, and we were talking and, and they got some great support. So there was um, a several representatives or representative from the, the state house, uh, managers and administrators from EMS and mobile medicine organizations, uh, Stars of Life recipients. 
And we were going through some of these exercises to get them to that, to see. And you mentioned smile. And I had them doing 60 second or 30 second games um, seated at their table, just interacting and, 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 and engaging. Uh, they were all connected because we're all in the same space, but I saw them truly engaging that social piece mm. and the smiles and the laughter started and it was rather verbose. And, you know, we talked about the physiology and, and when people see it and hear it simultaneously, um, th there's a better opportunity for it to become uh, something that will resonate with them again. Right. And in, in integrated in, integrated. Uh, and, and that's the system, right? Because if we look at ourselves from a physiological standpoint, this is our system. And, and uh, uh, I love that I'm studying it right now as I'm attaining my child, or child, child psych degree, my uh, psychology, not even psychology. Good God, goober. I'm a goober. I'm a gomer right now. Uh, the, sci <laughs> the science degree. Um, I have become a better practitioner as a result of understanding all of these things and, and how, uh, you know, how nerves matter, you know, and, and that's as weird as that sounds as, as much as a neuron matters and, and how integral it is to um, creating that opportunity for a smile and changing our physiological structure and, and having dopaminergic receptors, uh, you know, starting to reactivate you know, that left prefrontal cortex that, that uh, is the first protection to the uh, medulla, the amygdala, and the hippocampus from receiving anything to have to react or respond to, right? I'm going to be in a disassociative state so I can just do. Well, you're on autopilot and you're not successful. And I hate to say that, and I don't mean to say that to sound silly. Um, I'm looking at myself when I say that. Um, I'm not my best self. I'm not my best human. I'm not my best coworker, spouse, friend when I'm doing that, when, when I can see marvel and amusement and, and have tranquility, love and see inspiration in the smallest or biggest things, have a level of hope. And then victory, you know, we talk about triumph and, you know, oh, woe is me. And, and you know, we've, we've seen a societal shift to suffering and victimology. Um, and, and I'm not trying to diminish true victims of, of socioeconomic criminal uh, psychological, emotional, and religious uh, um, persecutions. Um, but to digress, I I'm just talking about base level living where if I don't have what my neighbor has, I'm a loser. I'm not a winner. I'm not successful. If I don't have what my brother has, my brother's keeper. Um, you know, so we talk about don't compare traumas and don't compare successes. Because individually, you are successful if you're getting up and you're doing the work and you're taking action and you're a student. And um, we, we spent a good bit of time together and I've just spent the last couple of minutes talking, Mike. Um, I would love to hear you uh, wrap up for our listeners uh, this complex yet simple, if, if we start drilling down to each thing individually, approach to... Uh, attainment of something better, something more, uh, even when it is a wicked problem. And, and there isn't a possibility that we see that we don't, we don't uh, react in that freeze moment where it takes physical effort. And I appreciate you saying that too. Um, you know, we talk about fight, flight, or freeze. And oftentimes the act of moving and, and, and resetting that, that 
breathe mechanism when the chemoreceptors say, hey, too much buildup of CO, um, you know, I need <laughs> oxygen again, right? Um, and then we reset that cognitive download, that dump just occurred, and we can reboot. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, we definitely need to revisit. Um, and and it, it's difficult when we get two very, very high-level thinkers. Um, but when you guys launch and, and you and Nick want to come on, um, I would love for that opportunity for the listeners to hear what you guys are doing, how you're incorporating some of the studies of what you've been doing and, and sharing that out there to the broader, broader listener. Um, and, and it can, for you to continue to be a revolutionary and, and a mentor. Um, I'll tell you this, you've been a mentor to me without me, without you ever knowing that. And, Thank you. and, and I'm appreciative of, of, of your words and your actions more importantly, because to me, the best sermon uh, is, is a good example. And you said something very early on in the conversation that was, that was uh, I, I heard in the same fashion. So uh, Mike Touchstone, uh, a student, a retiree, a lover of bourbon barbecue and uh, EMS, um, you, you have the floor. Uh... Well, I guess the challenge is in across the boards in any endeavor is to be mindful to be willing to step outside of what you know, do other things, engage with other people. It's all about people. So when you are working with the same people that you're going to do your social stuff with and everything is contained in a very small community, you, you begin to be at risk for uh, stagnation and uh you know echo chamber where you keep you all agree with each other and it's like yeah yeah well the challenge i would throw out to any of these folks is find some things outside of ems find some pursuits that are with other people that do other things uh, you know play some games uh, what do they call that trivial pursuit or any of those kind of weird things they do in the bar where you can have a drink and answer trivia questions um, you know, pursue movies. If you're a historian, music, any, anything else that's not us <clears throat> is a good thing to do to sort of get some distance and some separation and do things. It's, it's really easy to not, I've been sitting around doing not much, uh, for close to a year. I mean, I've been doing a few teaching here and there, and I'm starting to gear up again to re-engage. Um, take control of your own life, make good choices based on your values and have a plan. It's really, really, really important to have a plan. One year, five years, 10 years, where do you wanna be? What do you wanna be? Who do you wanna be? What do you wanna accomplish? What would you like to be in the future? And then work towards it in a very deliberate manner. Seek help, find mentor, mentors, uh, and don't give up because as, as stressed as we are and as challenged as we are, uh, you have to continue the fight. You said something about suffering. We, are all, we all suffer. It's like the nature of human existence as components of suffering. And honestly, most of us have it pretty, pretty good. You know, we're not living uh, hand to mouth. Most people, although there are a lot of people that are food insecure in our societies today, which is sad. Uh, 
but you know contribute in some way you know i volunteer with uh Wissahickon, friends of the Wissahickon, you know, and uh, Phil Abundance, which uh, feeds the hungry, mostly with money at this point, but I intend to start doing stuff, right? So it's about doing, participating and doing, uh, and doing things outside of just our own limited scope, expand your scope uh, and take steps because listening, just listening or just watching isn't enough. You have to actually do. Well, with that being said, I appreciate you being present and mindful of uh, the topic, the conversation of the topics, the multitude of things that we discussed and yet bringing them kind of full circle and, uh, you know, booking, book ending them. And then uh, with full, um, with full appreciation for somebody that wants to come in and smash everything that we put together up and, and being a revolutionary and taking one or two pearls of wisdom uh, or, or things that you and I have succeeded or, or failed upon um, and, and changing that and, and, you know, shoving it back in our face and say, I was successful at something that you failed at. And, and I've learned to the point where I'm going to, I'm going to accept and appreciate that because it was hard work and it took fortitude and, and intentionality and, and you're, your integrity to go forward and to do that with the people that you surround yourself with. Um, the human connection is, is a requirement uh, to the, to who we are. We are coming out of a, a long period of, uh, of strife and turmoil, entering into a new period of strife and turmoil, uh, many of the same and different. So I ask all of you to find your joy, whatever that may look like, and don't do it on the backs of other people. Um, use them collaboratively, but don't be, don't be a jerk. Uh, don't be a turd. Uh, and, 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 I, and I can say that because I've been both of those things at times in my life. Um, Mike, you said something about uh, the one year, the five year, the 10 year plan. The way to get there is by what you do today. And just because you fall down uh, tomorrow doesn't mean you're not a success because if you get up, you're successful and keep moving forward. Um, we're in an entropy state but you change things and you can interact and interplay with what's going on. This is the EMS Improv Podcast where we have engaged, where we've tried to be mindful and we have heard and shared and told our stories. We are powered by GEMS. Mike Touchstone has been our guest and I look forward to future opportunities to speak with you. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week and get better from the COVID. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me here. And I'd be more than happy to shoot the breeze again. Are you there? Yep. Okay. So I'm hit.